Well, here we go. Deck 78. Uh, you know, I pulled it up, and then I pushed it back a little bit, and then I pulled it up again. And then I, I, I think I stuck my foot in, and I shook it all around. Or Wait, that's the Hokey Pokey. That's the completely stop, different podcast. Stop hokeying and or pokeying. It's not appropriate. But yeah. then again, here on Deck 78, uh, many things are, uh, are allowed <laughs> that aren't necessarily appropriate. All these things are possible. <laughs> Let me be your gateway. <laughs> Welcome to another uh, uh, informal gathering. Uh, it's a lot more uh, informal tonight. We don't have uh, Mr. Altman here. He's out on assignment. Uh, but uh, we do have uh, me, Darren Docterman, and sitting across from me, Ashley Edward Miller. Not to be confused with uh, just Ashley Miller, who's a completely different podcaster. But uh, It's weird not to have more. slightly here. cheaper. Yeah, it was much cheaper, much cheaper. That guy, like, what has he done? Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's odd because I we don't we, we can't look forward to Mark randomly freezing in the middle of the podcast. Well, the that's now. true. Or or making up a brand new name for someone. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. What are we going to do? And you figure that uh, that uh, that that RoboCop, our subject tonight would just be rife with names like that like clarence bedicker i don't even know her <laughs> that's right you brought her you clarence bedicker uh yeah well you know the topic tonight i think is uh that we're at least going to start out on who knows where we'll end up who knows uh but it's uh it's the 1987 good lord is it that long ago uh blockbuster that came out of nowhere robocop and uh it uh, spawned a couple more sequels and uh direct to video and uh, a saturday morning cartoon show too yeah which was not bad well it didn't have as many uh, uh shotgun based uh uh dismemberment no and uh, uh or many fewer limited. people getting covered in toxic waste and exploding as they get hit by a car. Right. Uh, you, you know, let's just cut to the chase on this thing. You know, for for first of all, if you're listening to this episode and you're listening to Deck 78 and you don't know what RoboCop is, shame on you. But secondly, if you don't know what RoboCop is and you're listening to this episode because you're you've subscribed, you're in for a treat. Right. You're here because you care and you should care. Um, let me tell you about my, my first encounter with RoboCop. Let me tell you about my mother. My mother. That's right. Uh, she and I went to see RoboCop together. I mean, no, we didn't. Um, I, I remember seeing the standee for, for RoboCop at the theater. And right. I remember thinking. Stepping out of the uh, police car. Yes, exactly. And just as half, RoboCop. Half blue light, half red light. And I thought that is the stupidest title for a movie I have ever seen this is. movie is going to be awful. It is. And that's exactly the reaction I had too. But as we learned after seeing the film, it's the perfect title. It, it is the perfect title. Um, it like, it, it simultaneously captures, you know, the, 
kind of the irony that uh, that the movie brings to its subject um, and sort of the tongue lancing cheek nature of it. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's it has a different weight after you see the movie. Right. Um, you know, because there's just, a, there's a lot of issues with identity in that movie. Um, you know, with, uh, with officer Murphy, you know, and his, who is he? Is he a RoboCop? Is he Murphy? Uh, who is he? Um, you know, I'll tell you the other thing about this movie that, you know, we, we hinted at it when we were talking about the animated series on Saturday morning is the level of violence. So the two things I wasn't prepared for, number one was uh was that the movie with that title was going to be good right number two was the level of violence now i remember reading about this movie and you know the 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 advanced word on it was how they had to cut it back because it was going to get an x it was going to get an nc-17 it was just actually at that point it was an x because it was 1987 so the nc-17 rating didn't even exist right now usually we you Uh, know we associate nc-17 right it's we associate that rating with with you know with 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 fucking, you know, it's like, that's, <laughs> that's what we think of when we think of X, we don't think about it as like, it's, oh, it's about also about violence. That's how violent this movie was. And they had to cut it back. And I remember reading interviews where they were talking about, oh yeah, you know, we cut it back, but it's still really incredibly violent. And just reading descriptions of some of the scenes. And I was terrified yeah. to go see this movie because I was so squeamish. I know it's, it's hard to believe if, for those of you who have, you know, uh, listened to the 4:30 movie, unless you've heard our uh, movies that we're thankful for a week episode, um, to imagine that there's anything that that makes me squeamish. Ashley <laughs> was a different person back in the 80s. I was, and RoboCop changed me. <laughs> it, uh, it it put a callus on your soul, apparently. It did. It did. I care about nothing now. Well, going back to the the silly title, what you what you realize as you're watching the movie is that the title is the perfect corporate packaging, um, and it is it is dumb, but it is right on the nose, and the way that this film, uh, you know, makes fun of and celebrates uh, specifically United States corporate. Uh, lifestyles is absolutely brilliant Um, and they are you know it is a it is definitely a black comedy Uh, a lot of people don't realize that Uh, they think it's well it's an adventure film no it's a comedy because Paul Verhoeven is uh, an extremely funny person yes he is believe it or not and uh he is having the greatest time taking this uh, this sort of silly premise and pushing it to its absolute extreme. And uh, the fun part about it is that a lot of people don't realize it, uh, that it is packaged so well as this sort of action uh, thriller that uh, you don't know what's happening to you until you're way into it. Uh, of course, uh, Peter Weller, the lead who plays uh, Officer Murphy uh, in human form, uh, is, uh, you know, the uh, AJ squared away uh, good guy uh, wearing a badge. And 
he is uh, thrown into the machine, literally, of the uh, corrupt police department, the corrupt uh, uh, big business tycoons, uh, and the uh, and the corrupt bad guys. So everyone is corrupt in old Detroit, and he is sort of the uh, almost the ingenue uh, in this that is uh, that is chopped up by all these machines and he comes out as a machine himself uh purified through the uh, process and it's really amazing to see the progression here and uh, there are points in the film that are extremely emotional and touching that you do not expect to have in this movie oh yeah the movie is for all of for his light on its feet as it can be, it is not afraid to be heavy. It's it's not afraid to have gravity um, and to have real pathos. And you know, there are times when the violence is is funny. There are times when it truly is terrifying. Uh, you know, when uh, when Clarence Budicker, uh, played by the uh, <laughs> the great Kurtwood Smith uh, and his gang, you know, they corner Murphy. And um, he's all alone. He's without his partner. And they just shoot him up. They torture him, shooting him. They blow off his hand. They, they like. They basically crucify him. It completely. And it is, it is awful. It is excruciating yeah. to watch, intentionally so. Yeah. Um, you, you need to feel like something has happened, something awful and unjust and unfair has happened to this man. Um, and the the brilliance of this movie lies in, you know, that that journey back, right? That, you know, as you said, it's, you know, the Omni consumer products, you know, they 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 chop him up, they turn him, you know, into into a Robocop, into this thing um, yeah, that is not supposed to product. have any memory. Right. Yeah. He's a product. He just that's it. He just he's just sort of a he's half man. He's half machine. He's all cop it's <laughs> and he's not supposed to remember his life he's not supposed to remember who he is he's but the bitch of it is he does human yeah and it, but he is he's but the he most is. human character in the movie yeah arguably so and i think the the thing that um you know i like to say that one of my very favorite uh you know lines of dialogue or at least like on a pound for pound like pound for pound syllable for syllable syllable basis uh, is uh, is when Clarence Boddicker like you know walks in on Miguel Ferrer and he's like you know snorting coke you know with the hookers, and he just says bitches leave, and it's just like a perfect character moment. It's just it's like it's so succinct, it's perfect, it's whatever. But truly, I think the best exchange comes at the very end, uh, after a spoiler alert, after RoboCop uh, goes up into the boardroom. And he, uh, he he blasts the great uh, Ronnie Cox playing Dick Jones yeah. uh, out a window, and the old man, the chairman of the board, looks at him and says, "What's your name, son?" Murphy. It's just terrific. It's great. It's yeah. great. Um, backpedaling a little bit because yeah. uh, uh, there are so many uh, wonderful uh, way stops along the way to that great ending. Um, that, uh, of course it sets, it sets up everything like a regular sort of buddy cop movie, you know, 
and uh, we have uh, uh, Murphy's partner, who uh, is uh, Annie Lewis, and she has uh, she has worked in this precinct uh, before. So uh, basically, Murphy is is the uh, the newbie, but he uh, you know shows his toxic masculinity by taking control, and uh, he only he can drive the the police car, and of course. Uh, you know, we we love him for it because he shows that he knows what he's doing, right? And uh, they they show a little uh, a little clip from a TV show that his kid watches called TJ Laser. Mm -hmm. Obviously, <laughs> a little bit of a reference to TJ Hooker, I believe. Um, and uh, and TJ Laser does this uh, you know fancy cowboy uh, spin with his gun, and that sort of becomes a. Uh, a calling card for Murphy's humanity uh, showing through. And Better alive, you're coming with me. It's very clever uh, how it's planted there. Um, although you know some of those uh, some of those flashbacks back to the uh, back to the kid and uh, and his wife, uh, his mom, um, are a little bit forced and fakey. Uh, you know, with the with the kid dressed up for Halloween with a with a pitchfork and he's poking it at him in in, in our POV, uh, and it's a little bit it's a little bit silly, uh, but later when he is uh, he is out on patrol and he visits his old house that is now empty and for sale, uh, he walks through and uh, we see. Uh, uh, better renditions of those memories as seen through the rooms that he's walking in and it it is a tearjerker because you see you don't even see it on his face because you're only seeing half his face like batman um but his uh reaction to this is really heart-wrenching and uh of course basil polidorus's uh, score is doing its best in the background to uh, support that and that's one of the greatest uh, greatest moments in this movie. Completely. In fact, number one, Peter Weller is awesome in that moment. The way he uses his entire body, like it's just a fully physical performance. He physicalizes all of that emotion because he knows he can't have it on his face. Yeah. Um, Basil Polidorus' score is fucking perfect there. And I will tell you a story that I don't know if I have told on any iteration of our podcast. Uh, when the when the uh, the remake was yeah. in development uh my erstwhile writing partner and i got a call they wanted us to write it and um we had a long conversation with the producer and the whole conversation was like yeah well you know in the in the original he walks really slow and he's big and he's clunky he should be like fast and all this other stuff because it's like you know I'm like well okay um and the the whole conversation went like that. And then we got to his, but let's talk about, you know, that scene where he goes back to his house. And I said, yeah, let's talk about that. Because I'm thinking, okay, that's a critical scene. He's like, yeah, I don't like that. I don't think it works. Oh, I don't think we want to do anything like that. Yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, that scene is the entire movie. It is the heart of the movie. It's the heart of the movie. It is everything that is important and that matters. It is the reason why we're watching. It is the reason why we remember that film. Um, and it's not necessarily 
uh, you know, with, oh yeah, we just remember like the the awesomeness of that specific scene. Although the scene is in fact awesome, it is that the scene in a particular context elevates that movie and turns it into something else and justifies so much. Yeah. And I got off the phone. I was so angry. That was the angriest I ever was after one of those phone calls. And I called uh, our, our manager at the time. And I was like, that was just the absolute stupidest phone call yeah. that I have ever had in my entire career. And I've had some buttes. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just, I was, I was so angry. And I have to tell you that, you know, when, you know, look, remakes and all that other stuff, like they pop up because it's a thing that happens. And um, one of the, the metrics for doing something like that for me has always been, do I have something to say? And the thing that I realized about RoboCop, I mean, putting aside like the dumb conversation, because I think on some level there's a there was a crusader in me that was like, well, screw it, we should do it just so we can fight. But um, the truth of the matter is that RoboCop says what it has to say so well, so eloquently, yeah, and so and economically. Yes, nothing else needs to be said. Yeah, I, I have nothing else to say about that movie other than the things that I love about it. Look, it's the the sad part of it is that uh, as with, you know, many of the things going on in Hollywood, certainly in the last 20 years, uh, there are more and more people who are doing their jobs uh, for different reasons than love of the movies uh, and actual understanding of movies. Um, and when it comes down to something like that, where the people in charge absolutely have no freaking clue. Uh, what they're doing, and that they are just, uh, you know, going on uh, uh, cocktail hour discussions with other douchebags um, to determine their, uh, you know, life uh, outlook. Um, it's uh, it's completely apparent that you get what you get from these projects because they suck. Uh, and you and, know, and oh, sorry, go ahead. The, it, it misses the entire freaking point. And yet, ironically. It makes the point for the movie, because if you think about it, you know, that whole approach, right, you know, almost, you know, and let's just kind of fixate on like on the, on the RoboCop of it all. It's like when you start talking about like remaking a movie about a cop who is remade yeah. into yeah. something better and stronger and all those things that kind of made him awesome as a person. Let's lose all that. Let's lose it. We yeah. don't need it. It makes it weaker, yeah. right? We want it to be lean. We want it to be a fighting machine. We want it to right. be a badass. Yeah. And it's just, it, 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 it's so meta on so many levels. Right. And, and I hadn't thought about that before until you said that, but it's like, oh my God, I they're was actually in RoboCop. <laughs> they're old and we're young and that's the breaks. Yeah. Uh, but crazy. no, look, look the... The basic reason, you know, to help our audience uh, follow along, at least my brain patterns, the basic reason to have RoboCop lumping around like that is because it's a Frankenstein story. You know, it is, it is rejuvenating dead flesh and creating this character that is scary, but uh, you, you are able to... Uh, to connect with him 
because the entire world around him is crazy. What do you think is the is the key to that? I mean, even before he gets to the scene where he goes to his house and he's putting everything together. I mean, I feel like we make a connection to him early on. Like, like what is it for you? Like when he's got look, he's got half his face covered up. You can't see him. Yeah. And yet we connect with him. What do you think that's about? I think because he is able to function even uh, mutilated by the state. He is able to function as a good person. He is able to, uh, to fight for uh, the law and fight for the rights of people who can't fight for themselves. I mean, the, the poor girl being uh, attacked and almost raped in the, in the alleyway, mm -hmm. uh, he is fucking Superman. You know, he does everything that we would want to do if we were in that position. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. He doesn't, he's not afraid. He is, uh, he is, you know, doing these things that uh, would be dangerous for someone else. Uh, but he's able to, you know, shoot between her legs and hit the guy behind her. You know, he's able to do that because of his abilities now. Uh, and the whole garb of justice that he is encased in, to quote from uh, Judge Dredd, um, is a hindrance. It, it, it acts like a hindrance because it is replacing his humanity, theoretically. But the way that he is able to emerge from that prison and, uh, and survive and overcome is the story that you connect with. You know, the, that target of him saying, Murphy at the end, that is the goal. That is him embracing his own humanity and still able to function in this, in this horror outfit. So in a way, he's, he's aspirational, right? He remains that totally. totally. And he's that, that center of good in the film, no matter what happens. I mean, even Officer Lewis, his partner, um, yeah. you know, she is fantastic. You know, but you know she's not the hero, right? right. She's just a, a good. Um, she's like she's a good foil. She's a good sounding board, and she is a good uh, uh, impetus for him to uh, rediscover his uh, persona. And by the way, she's played by Nancy Allen, who I Correct. believe like got her her first role was in Carrie as the mean uh, girl. Certainly one of her first, yeah. Yeah, but she's she's fantastic yep um and she's got great chemistry with peter weller that entire cast let's talk about that the a little cast bit, right? is so good it is incredibly well cast first of all we talked a little bit about ronnie cox um ronnie cox is just awesome as our, dick jones our favorite our favorite uh, captain jellico from uh, the next generation get it uh, done yeah he is he is uh, so uh commanding but quiet in this mm -hmm. that's what's so scary about him is that he, uh, when he when he is uh, when he is basically taking out his revenge against uh, uh, against uh, Bob Morton, Miguel Ferrer, um, he is quiet and he is calm and he is scary as shit uh, because he has the power. 
and he doesn't need to shout. Exactly. Like, you know, that it all begins in that scene in the bathroom yeah, where he's just pissing all over him. Yeah. And it's just his whole motivation uh, for, you know, for undoing Miguel Ferrer. It was like, it, it really came down to it. It was like, it has, you know what, it's okay, sure. So you played the politics. It was your project, like, like my, not my project. Okay, fine. Awesome. Except the problem, kid, basically is that you disrespected me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you're in this position now. If you'd respected me, if you showed me a little yeah, respect, if you show me a little respect, I can understand these uh, leaps uh, over me uh, because that's what I did too. But there was always respect. Exactly, which is almost exactly the speech that he gives him because he's yeah. talking about the old man um, again, who's the uh, the 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 CEO, Manoharlicky. Um, yeah, and he's he is great. Because you want to, you want him to be your grandpa, and you know on some level that he's evil, but on another well, level, you just kind of want him to be is, a good no, guy. Look, the old man is not evil. He actually believes. See, he believes that he can help New Detroit. You know that he can he can help rid this uh, this hell of a city of crime, and he is a he is a crusader. So, you know, no matter what you think of him, he his motivations are good. That's uh, a really interesting perspective. I actually like that. I like that even that makes me like him better. Because now I can think of him as like he's he's uh, like old Batman and Batman Beyond. Yeah. He's <laughs> looking for Look, technological solutions to an insoluble I problem. I think that uh, uh Dan O'Hurley uh is is playing it as a well-meaning old man who doesn't exactly know exactly all the things that his company is doing, but he has a vision, and he's hoping that people follow that vision. Unfortunately, he has people under him like Dick Jones and uh, Bob Morton, uh, who uh, sort of uh, take this uh, a little too seriously. Um, now, the the basically the two factions that are trying to take over the police department. Uh, one is led by Dick Jones, and he is uh, in charge of the uh, Ed 209 project, which is this large-sized, uh, two-legged uh, walking police car that has giant guns on each side. Uh, and it isn't exactly up to full functioning specs as we first see it, um, but it is part of a grand plan to uh, take over the military. Uh, and... It is, uh, you know, supposed to uh, create years and years of uh, providing parts and service to a fleet of these robots uh, that would uh, that would not require uh, uh, men to uh, die horribly in uh, accidental uh, or uh, purposeful deaths. Um, that's his plan, and he has a grand scheme for his section of uh, Omni Consumer Products. And of course, Miguel Ferrer, playing Bob Morton, is in charge of the RoboCop project, which uh, is designed to take a wounded or uh, or even dead police officer and uh, encase them in a robotic husk and resuscitate them and use them and their training uh, for uh, you know police work. Which, if you think about it is completely insane right like like uh dick jones like his program like makes a lot more sense well like, it makes a lot more sense unless 
it doesn't work. And unless it, just, it doesn't work, and it yeah. doesn't work. Let's just talk about Ed Two and Nine for a second. Yeah, I have to say, like that does. I love that design. I love just how you tell it. Who does? Was that? I want to say, was that Phil Tippett? No. Um, Phil Tippett uh, did the animation on it. I don't know exactly who designed it. I, I think it might be one of Phil Tippett's people. I'm not exactly sure, actually, because uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Bill Sandell, was the production designer. Um, but uh, a lot of that stuff was sort of done by the uh, ancillary companies that were doing the effects work and things like that. So and I'm it was exactly stop sure. motion, right? It, it was... was stop motion. It was, yeah. it was uh, traditional stop motion with rear projection uh, on miniature sets and uh, integrated into live action. Um, you know, fairly clunky, but it's really effective because the shot selections are perfect. Uh, the, uh, the scale of everything is consistent to the full-size one that was built. And uh, it's, really, it's really well done for, you know, it, Robocop isn't exactly a huge budget movie, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't show it. Uh, and you know the the thing to me that is that's like the triumph of Ed two hundred nine. It's like it's not that it's you know completely seamless because you're right at times it's like the integration is a little clunky. Although for the the most part, I think it it works really well. The thing that is that's that, that's most striking about Ed two hundred nine to me is that um, that puppet is so expressive. Yeah. And it has no ability to make expressions. It's just all like in the little movements, like the tentative movements well, on the, the best, stairs. The best movement that it makes is when it's starting to try to go down the stairs. And it, it puts its little foot out and sort of the, the toe sort of flicks a little bit trying to find out where the stair is. And, and then it just tumbles forward. Yes, exactly. It's almost it, it, adorable. It's so great. It, no, it is adorable. It, it is adorable. It reminds me of like, and it's, 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 kind of funny how the human brain works, right? Like we kind of anthropomorphize Ed 209, but we'll do that. Yeah. Like, um, you know, when DARPA was doing tests for their uh, for their dog robot, right? That was basically like, you just send that robot out and it kind of bounds across the field and it's kind of looking for mines. Oh yeah. So they did a demonstration uh, for like the four stars and all that other shit. And they like, they had this robot out there in the minefield, like looking for the mines and it would hit the mines and we get a leg blown off. And the four stars stopped the test. They didn't want to watch because it was too upsetting. Because like they like they there was something about the robot well, they, that they appealed to, to them. Love it. Yeah. yeah, and they were like, oh, I can't watch that happen. It was no longer a tool or a toy to them. It it, it had a personality to them, which I find fascinating because that's that's what happens in RoboCop. It's like yeah, Ed two hundred nine has a personality. It's not his fault that he doesn't work correctly. That's right. And but, we feel uh, but thank for God him. he's there. Because otherwise we wouldn't have that great scene where it's like you have 15 seconds to comply. Oh my God. And the the look on the poor uh, uh, the poor uh, corporate uh, flunky who uh, is asked to uh, point the gun at at 209 is uh, priceless. Because uh, he just goes into complete panic mode, rightfully so, yes. because he's about to be uh, shredded uh, by gunfire and uh, landing on the beautiful uh, white pristine model of New Detroit in the uh, in the conference room. Um, it's uh, it's so good, and and the uh, 
the audience reaction to that is always good because you don't necessarily see it coming. Uh, but when it starts to happen, you're going, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that, you know, that that kind of a scene, I think, happens twice. The the first time is when uh, when Clarence Boddicker and his guys, uh, you know, just blow away Alex Murphy. Right? right. When they when they when they torture, crucify, nearly kill him. Yeah. That's a horrifying scene. That is like, you know, you, there's no oh, shit. There's like no like wow there's no laughter there's nothing like that it is just awful difficult to watch and then in the boardroom mm -hmm. ed 209 does kind of the same thing but a reaction to it is so different and it's intentional right you know there's like there the is... ed 209 scene though horrible is played for laughs yeah L literally yeah i mean the 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 last movement of Ed 209 is that he slunks down and you hear like a little flywheel going and it is completely Warner Brothers cartoon time. Yeah. On purpose, which is what makes Paul Verhoeven so brilliant. And we should talk about him, but first, I mean, let's talk a little bit about like the dad from that 70s show. Oh my God. Kurtwood Smith is brilliant i don't think i'd seen him in anything before this uh me neither he is so freaking evil i mean literally evil but he plays it so so fun he's having a great freaking time and it's it's an amazing sort of uh, character thing that uh you know, he really enjoys what he does all mm -hmm. the time. And he's, you know, even dealing with, uh, you know, big time uh, drug lords in, uh, in the uh, processing plant. Uh, he uh, doesn't take crap from anybody. Uh, and this is even, you know, they, the drug lords don't care about his, uh, his uh, protection from OCP. Uh, they'll blow him away. But but damn, uh, he just uh, deals with them so shrewdly and so frighteningly that they're scared shitless about him. Yeah, and it's, he, it's so well acted. He is basically, I, I was sort of thought about it as he is also a machine. Like that's what he is. Yeah, playing. yeah. You know, yeah. it's uh, because he is so relentlessly what he is. And like you said, it's obvious that he's having fun. He is so much fun to watch. At the same time, he never winks at the audience. Yeah. He never breaks the moment. It yeah. is just who he is that makes that character, like in the abstract, delightful. And when I say in the abstract, what I mean is when you're watching the movie, when he comes on screen, it's always terrifying because you know that he is capable of anything and anything is probably going to involve something horrifyingly violent and unpleasant and he will like it and i think the one of the great things is that in the script his name clarence boddicker is sort of like uh it's a, a name that's out of its time you know it's like mm -hmm. a name from the uh from the 1910s you know 
that uh, he's the he's the guy who uh, you know who invented radio or something like that. He it's it's completely separate from who he actually is, uh, and, and I find it very interesting. I mean, the names in this uh, in the movie are you know really good mm -hmm. uh, because they uh, they directly sort of relate to the characters, except with Clarence Boddicker. And it, it, so it, it sort of uh, takes him into a uh, almost an ancient crime family, you know. Uh, but uh, I've never actually thought about it until we're talking about it now. But it's uh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's like it's uh, he is he is named kind of against type. Yeah. You know, Clarence is not a guy who's going to kick your ass. No. Right. It's like and you even think like Clarence Boddicker is not a guy. He's a guy. You know what he is? He's an accountant. And, yeah. you know, he's the guy that everybody in the office gets him to do their work for him. But then like they forget to invite him out to drinks. That's Clarence Boddicker. Right. But Clarence Boddicker even dresses that way with the glasses, you know, with the whole nine yards. It's just he just feels like that guy, except he's awful. Um, <laughs> but he loves being awful i mean this movie is chock full of characters who are freaking awful yeah. um you know miguel ferrer is like uh is, is bob morton right um and uh am i right about that yep yeah um you know he's great it's like it, it just the 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 slimy ambition of him yeah. it's like he feels like a bob he feels he's like the guy he's in the office perfectly cast yeah he's perfectly cast and you know, for those of you who don't know, Miguel Ferrer was the uh, son of uh, Jose Ferrer, who was a movie star in uh, in the fifties uh, and sixties. And the the uh, emperor, and the, the Padishah Emperor Shaddam the Fourth. Yes, from <laughs> uh, from our favorite Dune movie. And yes, I'm saying it's my favorite Dune movie, yeah. even after even after the uh, recent one. Yeah, me too. Um, but Miguel Ferrer brings every bit of uh of style and uh and ability uh of his father's into this role and uh he's just great he's he's absolutely slimy he's absolutely smart uh he he pounces on uh, opportunities uh and he's just uh he's just a little inexperienced when it comes to uh the corporate world and uh, doesn't know the power of his betters uh, that uh, they use against him. And it's, uh, it's really, really great to see that all unfold. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we should also probably mention um, Paul McCrane, who uh, oh, plays, yeah. you know, Emil. Emil. Yeah, Emil, Emil Schlamazel, uh, who, is, who is basically the chief flunky for, uh, for Boddicker. Right. But and... he has a great scene all his own. He has a, at the a, gas station. Yes. Um, and I mean, this is, you know, this is a setup so that we feel good that he's, uh, you know, uh, eradicated by uh, poison uh, uh, yeah. uh, material later. Um, but, uh, you know, he he goes up to this uh, this poor gas station attendant and taps on the window with his gun. He says, you you what are you, a college boy You studying there and the. Poor, uh, poor jerk behind the glass is uh, scared to death, and uh, and then he says, uh, "You think you're smart enough to outsmart a bullet?" <laughs> and <laughs> just he's just so creepy and and uh, 
you know, again, evil. These are these are uh, the these are representations of uh, the society gone insane. And uh, you know, and of course, RoboCop comes in and uh, and uh, saves the day. But Emil is the one who recognizes him. Yeah. And, and who realizes who it is. Yep. You know, we killed you. Yeah, that's such a great moment. Yeah. That is such a great moment of horror. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's funny, because the way that you, you're sort of talking about that scene, it, it, it makes me think, my God, on some level, you know, this movie is like, these, these characters are straight out of an Elmore Leonard novel. Right? Absolutely. And yep. it's like, they are like, not particularly bright, but particularly violent men. Uh, some of whom do deeply stupid things that create gigantic problems uh, for our emotionally unavailable hero. <laughs> you know, and there is nobody more emotionally unavailable than RoboCop. Than yeah. RoboCop. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that I, I love about it. It has like, it's it's almost a, a Western. I mean, it's just. Oh, just... it totally is. It totally is. It's the it's the new sheriffs in town. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, my God, it's on some level, it's High Plains Drifter. I mean, yeah. Is there, yeah. Is, is there a little person that he, like, makes the mayor? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, Emil has arguably the most horrifying death yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, for, for those of you playing at home who have <laughs> seen it, you know what I'm talking about. He takes a bath in the toxic waste. His body and he's turned is... into soup. Totally turned into soup. He is walking around. He's like he's falling apart. He is just a bag it's of horrific. Shit. And he gets hit by the sucks two thousand. <laughs> and he just like a like a pinata, like a yeah. water balloon, like a water uh, balloon filled with uh, cream of uh, mushroom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, it's just like you cannot fucking believe it. Like if there is. You know, I, I said that you know before I watched this movie, I would I had a real hard time with violence. I think, um, you know, look the what happened to Murphy, I I survived that. I'm like, okay, right. You know, uh, the scene in the boardroom, okay, yeah. okay. It got to Emil's death, and at first I was very much not okay. But then as I processed it, it made everything even more okay because it was yeah. so over the top and yep. so well deserved. And and just the the deliciousness of him getting hit by that car, like the thing that he wanted more than anything else, which is such an Elmer Leonard touch. He wanted this stupid goddamn car that you shouldn't want, the Sucks 2000. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, we should talk about the fact that one of the things that's very particular and different about RoboCop is – Every so often, the movie stops yeah. for and the news. For a commercial break. For a commercial break, for yeah. things that don't exist, for shows that don't exist, uh, like Batty, 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 you know, or I'll buy that for a dollar, you know, or... It's showing us, it's showing us a, a wider view of the world that this is taking place in and showing us that we don't really want to be in this world. But it's also showing us that we're going to be in this world fairly soon. Yeah, and it's it's honestly on some level it is the world that 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 we were we were living in and that we do live in. It was satirizing all of that right down to like just you know the sheer like just the the lust for that sucks two thousand, which is 
not even a you know a cool looking car it's just the sucks 2000 well um, oh. they they don't call it the sucks 2000 they they do delineate it as the sux 2000, 2000. yes so it's exactly. a little more palatable uh, yeah. but, but it's more it, fun to call it the sucks 2000 it's more fun. actually it occurs to me so talking about the cars like that was um the the way that they uh, sort of created the and this is a silly little thing but it's one of the details that i love um the police cars of the future yeah in detroit um they're just it, regular cars except they're not shiny yeah they've got a <laughs> they're, matte they're, finish. they have a matte finish on them and that is that is amazingly futuristic and i don't know why it works but it absolutely does and it's one of the design choices that i am constantly uh impressed with yeah me too it like it, it just it was um it was fascinating to see like that number one you know at the time you have to understand 1987 most police cars you were seeing looked like bricks yeah that were rolling around and all of a sudden here are like these these they're like i think they were all ford tourists they were ford uh, well uh, some some of them were ford ltds yeah. Uh, but, uh, definitely American made crap mobiles. Yes. And then, you know, adding that, that matte paint job, which nobody had ever seen, but it just, it felt rustic and futuristic yeah. and cheap yet expensive all at the same time. It, yeah. it felt so much like it, it made it timeless. Yeah. Right. If that had just been like police cars, I don't know that we ever would have believed it. Well, the, when you were talking about Emil and his uh, demise, what popped into my mind was that that is pretty much the closest to an anime moment that we've ever had in live action. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and I think that uh, a lot of the a lot of the design choices, certainly in the RoboCop suit itself, are very Japanese. Uh, it uh, it it has the feeling of uh, the uh, Japanese artist uh, Hajime Soriyama, uh, who used to do these uh, amazing sort of chrome women uh, with uh, robotic details on them. There is a lot of uh, of uh, sort of shape language derived from those designs, That's and I think it's an absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, design, uh, especially in the way that it's finished. It is finished like a car. Uh, he is a he is a walking product of Detroit. Mm -hmm. I mean, and... to the point where I I swear to God, I maybe I'm insane and I'm dreaming this. Well, but I think there may actually <laughs> could be. I think there might actually be a statue of RoboCop in Detroit. I, I think I think there is. If it isn't, there is certainly there one be. that has been planned. Yeah. Um, Although, didn't yeah. they shoot it in Dallas? They shot it in Dallas, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, because uh, Detroit is not a good place to shoot. No, as it <laughs> turns it out. Not. The irony of it all. <laughs> but, I mean, just the design in general of that movie was just terrific. Just on a technical level. Look, I mean, on a technical level, nearly everything from, you know, even the even the script as a technical exercise mm -hmm. uh, was just great. Like, um, if you're a if you're a, a structure nerd, like me, you sort of sit and you watch that movie. And um, you realize that uh, that that film like is, it follows like a perfect mirror structure, like mm -hmm. all the way sort of up and back. 
um, just how how Murphy travels like from from one end of that film to the next. It's just those those scenes are just all in parallel. It's like and and there is there is not a wasted moment yeah. in that movie. There is not anything that doesn't move it forward, that doesn't tell you something about the characters, that doesn't tell you something about the world while moving the story forward and telling you something about the characters, right. uh, you know, which are all the things that you want, like out of a great scene. It's Ed Neumeier, um, who wrote that, I think with, uh, Michael Miner, um, and, uh, Ed Neumeier, who then later wrote a Starship Troopers right. for Paul Verhoeven. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the, the structure of the script is great, uh, especially with all the, uh, all the setups, that are done very, very simply and very subtly, which I enjoy. And then when you when you get the uh, resolution for those later, you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense, and it's it's beautifully done. And I I am a big fan of subtlety in storytelling, and uh, it's uh, you know in a in an otherwise not subtle movie at all. Right. Uh, it it these things sneak up on you because they're uh, they're clever. Um, I mean, it's I, like let's face it, the movie is called RoboCop. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is on paper. It is just you know this sort of big blustering, crazy you know action, com dark comedy, very violent blockbuster, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, it is so delicately put together. Yeah. Um. And uh, of course, a lot of that is also it's it's you know it's it's Paul Verhoeven, um, yeah, who is who, just an unsung genius, Showgirls notwithstanding. Look, even Showgirls is a is brilliant in some sense mm -hmm. uh, because of its uh, its audacity. Uh, and you know, uh, heretofore telling a uh, an untold uh, story. Oh boy, modern times. Um, but yeah, one of the great things is the is basically the American reveal of Paul Verhoeven uh, in RoboCop. Uh, for those of us who weren't familiar with his previous body of work, uh, simply because we uh, weren't old enough, right? Uh, but uh, you know, some of his early films, like uh, Soldier of Orange, mm -hmm. are, are incredibly. Uh, Verhoeven-esque and uh, and really show the the amazing potential in his uh, in his career and uh, look Robocop just exploded everywhere without notice uh, and I think uh, people were taken aback and uh, it opened up a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities for him and uh, he took advantage of them and he you know each of his movies that he made after that uh were uh were very solid uh offerings mm -hmm. sure. but they all existed in the shadow of of robocop arguably I nothing so, yeah. more so than than starship troopers for a whole yeah bunch of reasons but i think i'll tell you you know the the sort of the reception um that robocop received once it was released and people saw it you know what it reminds me of more than anything else is the matrix how the Matrix snuck up on people. Yep. Nobody knew what the hell it was going into that movie. It came out going, oh my God. I think that was Robocop in so many respects. Absolutely. It was um, I mean, look, one of my my uh my my good friends, um 
uh, Drew Crivello, who was an executive over at, uh, at at Fox. He was my executive on uh, on X Men. He uh, he used to say that a great movie should never be a surprise, mm. and I think he's right. But I think RoboCop was one of those great movies that was a surprise. Well, yeah, but uh, I, actually, I think that uh, I think that statement is completely false. I think great movies are always a surprise, <laughs> uh, especially these days. Well, I think the operative word is should. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yes, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, but, it it absolutely snuck up certainly on me, and I had just uh, I had just turned twenty, uh, and. Uh, was beginning to sort of work in the industry. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it inspired me to uh, break out the foam core and the hot glue, and I, I built a, a RoboCop arm uh, after seeing the movie because I, I was fascinated by that costume. Um, and it was, uh, it was inspiring on many things because uh, even after just a couple viewings, uh, my friends and I had started to quote from it liberally and because uh, it is a very memorable movie uh that again sneaks up on you and infiltrates your uh your consciousness uh it's just so it's so well done and so uh you wonder why it hadn't been made earlier mm -hmm. you know, it was so right yeah it's one of those things it's um you know it's what's the it's about you know the definition of of genius is the simple idea that you can't believe nobody thought of before. Right. The one that was just sort of sitting right out there. And maybe that's the reason why the, the sequels like never worked. Like, I don't know that anybody truly understood like what was the alchemy of that movie. I mean, Robocop two, it look, it has Irving Kirshner who is, yeah. you know, who, who directed that film he was trying his best, mm -hmm. but it's really clunky. I mean, it's literally really, and figuratively. It's like it, it tries to capture like all of the it sort of has like the violence and the weirdness, but it doesn't quite it doesn't have the heart. It has some cool action in it, but it, it doesn't have it, it real has, blood in its it has all the bad parts and very few of the good parts. Right. It, it doesn't have the thing that um, that makes Robocop stand apart it doesn't have like it it doesn't have the equivalent of he goes to his house and remembers his family yeah oh right? you mean that you mean that scene that doesn't really work yeah the scene that doesn't work at all yeah right the scene that doesn't matter the scene that shouldn't yeah. be there um you know fred decker tried yeah. to uh to kind of uh, get robocop kind of back to uh back to basics a little bit uh, but in some respects i don't know how how back to basics robocop 3 really was he's fighting robo ninjas yeah and it, it, it had the uh the handicap of not having peter weller yes that too uh, it, it just sort of shows you if you really want to like, fully understand like the the difficulty rating of the dive that peter weller took when he played robocop yeah. And just how gracefully he made that dive. Just watch Robocop 3. Watch somebody else yeah, struggle that. with that. Um, or, uh, you know, watch the uh, the syndicated Robocop show, which, by the way, I really liked. But, you know, it's um, it's it's not the movie. It's, I'd almost uh, forgotten about that. Actually. Yeah. 
it was it was good. It was dark. It was strange. And it was Canadian. Um, it's Canadian, right? <laughs> good, dark, strange, and Canadian are just things that don't always go together. Now, if they had gone full Canadian and done Robo Mountie. That's right. Then... RoboCop A. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. So, ah. you know, like RoboCop is like it's, you know, he's the passive-aggressive future of law enforcement. Oh, it's like... That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to shoot you. Um <laughs> He just shoots you anyway. I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, just so many attempts to make RoboCop work. Yeah. And yet they don't. The the um, the remake, I mean, Joel Kinnerman. Let's talk about good. the remake. Yeah, let's talk about that. It's, uh, I'm not even going to say that it's, uh, it's technically good because it's kind of not. Mm -hmm. Because because the, the thing about it is that um, nothing means anything in it. Uh, you have RoboCop basically battling a bunch of robots, and who cares? You know, it's mm. like the it's like the Gungans uh, battling the uh, droids in uh, Episode One. No one cares. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, the audience has no grounding and connection to anything in it. Uh, what are we fighting for? I don't know. Nothing seems to make any sense. And uh, it, it completely misses the point of the first movie. Completely. It, completely. It, like almost, almost, it, it, I almost would say. diametrically it, opposed yes. to it. Like I would say that it almost feels like it's on purpose, right? Because, and then I think, oh yeah, maybe, okay. well, maybe it wasn't on purpose. It's like, maybe just like nobody involved, like understood what made Robocop work. Like, but at least it, it, it in a weird way, it gave me a new appreciation for Robocop too. Yeah. Because you realize in Robocop 2, at least they were trying. Um, right. And, you know, there was there was some effort to try to recapture what made Robocop They were aiming work. in the right place, but they just kept missing. That's yeah, it. they kept missing the target. Missing the target, yes. Uh, as opposed to the Robocop remake. I mean, again, Joel Kinnerman, he's a pretty good actor. Um, and I think, sure. you know, in a different in a different version of that movie, uh, you know, maybe he would have worked. And Bruce Willis playing Steve Jobs, you would think, is a... Is a great idea. It's a no-brainer, but, but it apparently work. it is a no-brainer yes. uh, because there's no thought in it, and there's no there's no connection. There's no there's nothing real. There's no verisimilitude, as uh, Richard Donner used to say. Um, it has no connection to any reality that we can identify with. No, it it just it. I mean, whether you're talking about like on a on a script level just crafting characters and scenarios that we that we care about that make sense right. um you know on their own terms on a technical level uh creating a world around us in that film that feels like it's that feels timeless and that feels like um it exists like in and of itself right that it like it's uh that it exists kind of beyond the page Right, that yeah. exists beyond the frame. I think is something that George Lucas talks about. Right. Like that, he wants to feel like the world exists beyond the frame. Right, and you don't feel like the world of the RoboCop remake exists beyond the frame. Well, look, um, there, there's, as you know, there's there's ways to make movies like that, and one of them is to get you know five or six sort of action set pieces that uh, where things happen, and then you connect them with a narrative somehow. There, the problem is that even the action set pieces make no fucking sense mm -hmm. uh, in in and of themselves. They 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 don't. Uh, there's no 
there's no uh there's no danger there's no there's no uh you know weight to them there's no there's no uh story linking at all it's no, just it's, stuff that happens it's hardcore wank it's like um it, it just it feels like look sometimes um which you is know, when, which is the name of my uh, YouTube channel? Hardcore. That's Wank. hardcore wank. Right, you're one of the 150,000 subscribers. I know what you think you're going to find, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it kind of been in the development process on on things like this. It's you know, occasionally, not occasionally, a lot. We'll meet you know directors or would be directors or yeah. writers or whatever who whose attitude is, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? Well, because it would be cool. Let's get. Which is which always makes me crazy, because I keep thinking, well, it's not gonna be cool if nobody cares. I would rather it be cool is making a good movie. Exactly, that'd be really cool. You know, that's like you know, you know, you know what's cool? Not a million dollars. A billion dollars is cool. (laughs) It's a billion dollars. Yeah, it's uh, you know, look to me, what makes an action scene truly great. Is not what happens in it; it's who it happens to. Yes. And who makes it happen? Yes. And, and what they have to do to get through it. Exactly. What it costs, like how you feel about it, like when you're watching it, and it doesn't matter how pretty those frames are. You can have the prettiest frames in the world if you don't give a shit about who is doing things and what's happening and what it means. No. Then meaning. who cares? It's like I feel like we were about to go into you know Spock <laughs> describing V'ger. It's like you know I mean, but it's kind of true. It's like it's in in a way it's you know it's there's no there's no, there's nothing to it. If you if you can't generate this simple feeling, then you're not successful. Exactly. This simple feeling is beyond the RoboCop remake. Yeah. Look, I I love sort of uh, deep diving into these things that uh, we've been exposed to, uh, and uh, the uh, the time just goes completely by very quickly, and we're we're coming to the end of this little get together at Deck Seventy Eight. Um, but uh, just a couple uh, last uh, last minute uh, statements about what makes RoboCop great and essential for uh, any, you know, thinking person's uh, list of big Hollywood movies. Um, It is a pastiche of so many classic stories of mythology. Um, And it's that connection to what rings true in... Uh, in human society that makes it real and makes it live uh, you know there there are various uh, uh, nods to the Christ story in it I mentioned the crucifying and uh, and the resurrection that happens in it and uh, Verhoeven himself spoke of this uh, that it was a it was a uh, a naturally occurring idea that he wanted to portray uh, that uh, RoboCop was the savior for the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's it's sort of subtle things like that, and you know, not so subtle things uh, that make it more than its uh, more than its ingredients, because uh, its ingredients are fairly basic. 
and well, it's it's the the masterful way they are combined that make it uh, enjoyable. Totally. And I think, look, who is this movie for? I'll tell you. Number one, well, if you're a writer and you want to understand what great structure and great characters look like, watch Robocop. Um, if your passion is design and special effects, um, then watch Robocop and take it apart. If you want to understand how to construct a great action scene, watch Robocop. If you want to understand how to build tension, um, how to make comedy, uh, how to make, how to inject comedy into your action without losing the, the gravity of your piece, watch Robocop. If you want to understand how a great score supports a great movie without overwhelming that movie, and like you can still walk out of there humming it, watch Robocop. I mean, I don't, it's, it's not, you know what? It's, it's not the greatest film ever made. No. But it doesn't have to be. Right. What it is, is like just, it is a gem of a film. Yeah. Um, that that we didn't deserve and we didn't know we were going to get. And it's if a, you want to, no, it's just I, it's. I'm just going to. It's a it's a it's a beautiful film lurking behind a B movie husk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used the word husk in that. Uh, I like it. In that context, I like that you but, said husk. <laughs> you know, it's just like at uh, Sears, you would go into the husky section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that'll do it for uh, Deck 78 today. I uh, hope you uh, enjoyed your drink and uh, hope you had fun uh, hanging out with us. Uh, we enjoy having you with us and certainly uh, all our subscribers that uh, go to trexpertsplus.com and, uh, and support us with uh, your monthly contribution of a mere $4.99 uh, for the price of uh, a bad cup of coffee. Uh, you, you can you can either feed children in Ethiopia right. or or you know listen to us yak about RoboCop. Um, look, I think the children in Ethiopia would uh, agree with us about the quality of RoboCop. Oh, completely. I like you know what I think I would like to show them RoboCop. I think they would really love it. Well, uh, I would like to see that day. But until then, uh, please, uh, yeah, please subscribe. I mean. You know, I, I shouldn't say please subscribe because if you're hearing this, you already have. So I, I'm just going to say thank you. But also visit uh, trexpertsplus.com and uh, you can take advantage of our uh, uh, little merchandise store there. We have uh, some of our favorite uh, mock uh, T-shirts from our other podcasts and, uh, and uh, a couple new ones pop up every now and then. So uh, keep an eye on it. Um, but, uh, Ashley, any uh, final words from you today? <laughs> I was about yes, to I'm putting like, you on the spot. Yeah, I know. I was about to quote, quote Clarence Boddicker and just say, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Uh, just, you know, to quote another Peter Weller movie, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. I would love to see a crossover oh between God. Buckaroo Banzai and robocop oh how awesome would that be it would be perfect he just pulls out the the little flugelhorn and just uh, starts wailing away completely or robocop like doing that march down yeah. the la river with them and he's whistling <laughs> yeah hey, look it's it's a, a dream that we will never see but uh we can still dream
That's what we can. And look, anything can happen. Dreams do come true on deck 78, the deck that shouldn't exist, the deck that probably doesn't. But it's our deck, and it's yeah, a fine it deck, is. and it's worth fighting for. It uh, It's a deck that should be dealt with. That's right. Because if you didn't have it, you would just be deckless. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, come on back in two weeks. We'll talk about something else. Deck 78 is an exclusive podcast from Trexperts Plus.